Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Ah, research. Both our friend and foe when you do a podcast, and we do a podcast. Oh, the imbalance history of rock and roll. That's what we do. I'm Ray Koob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And research and digging. It's part of it, right? It definitely is. And it's fun. It's learning. It's relearning. It's being blown away by things that you learn and... Again, reading and learning are a lot of fun for both of us, as well as music. And when it's tied to music, it becomes even cooler. So Sometimes I just can't stop, Marcus. <laughs> it's, I'm diving into it, you know, the rabbit hole. Oh, absolutely. And it's easy to get into those rabbit holes. Very, very easy. And our sponsor that's been putting us in rabbit holes and research libraries all across the Internet for a long time now, getting close to their 10th anniversary. I'm talking about Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hepro, pouring the cure for what ails you since February 2014. 10 years coming up for the boys. It's a big anniversary for those cats. So let's go back to the root of this whole thing, Marcus. I saw what was essentially a reprint or re-release of an article from March of 2023 written by Simon Young with Merlin Elderslade for Louder Sound, who we look at a lot for, you know, music news and stuff like that. A good source if you want to know what's going on. And the premise of their article, which is a good one, and we'll put the link in the uh, episode wherever you find this this week, is a list of the longest chart-running albums in the history of the Billboard Top 100 or 200. Is it 200 or 100 now? I can't remember. It's 200. Now, apparently there were a number of lists, and there still were after 1967, but that's when the Top 200 was born, and all of the discussion this week is framed in the, you know, era since then. Now, in their list, now, in their list, the guys from Louder Sound included Greatest Hits Packages, and that's kind of like an asterisk for us, right? Yeah, legit, because those albums were in the charts for so many weeks, and they were more than any other album, so it's legit. First, 
Let's talk about their list. Like you said, it's a little different, and it includes those packages. The number 20 album on their list, an original album from Lana Del Rey, Born to Die from 2012, 469 weeks on the chart. Swinging in the backyard, pull up in your fast car, whistling my name. Open up a beer and you say get over here and play a video game. I'm in his favorite sundress, watching me get undressed, take that body downtown. I say you the bestest, leaning for a big kiss, put his favorite perfume on, go play a video game. When we were discussing this whole thing, the next two items on their top 20 were a greatest hits and a cast album. The cast of My Fair Lady, 480 weeks, man, back in 1956. That's way before the top 200 was born. The cast album from My Fair Lady at 19. The rain in Spain's days, mainly in the plains. By George, he's got it. By George, he's got it. Now once again, where does it rain? On the plain, on the plain. And where's that soggy plain? In Spain, in Spain. Well, rain in mainly in the plain. Bravo! Well, the fact that it's been in the Billboard Top 200 for 480 weeks since they've been keeping track says a lot about that soundtrack, a ton about the soundtrack. Released in the year I was born at 18 is Johnny Mathis's greatest hits, 490 weeks. And this explains why I've always had an affinity for Johnny Mathis. He's been on the radio probably ever since my little baby brain could remember. Love me, love me, say you do. Let me fly away with you for my love. Johnny Mathis was played at my grandparents' house as well, and sometimes even at our house when we were kids. I'm completely familiar with his music, and dude wooed a lot of people. The dude wooed. I love it. I love it. More contemporary and of our era at number 17 on their list is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' greatest hits out of 1993. 499 weeks. Woo! Not surprised that Tom Petty is in this list at all because he is one of the most prolific songwriters of our generation and his songs carry forward and are timeless. Now, later when we give you our version of this same list, 
this next album benefits from that. I'm talking about rumors from Fleetwood Mac. They have it at 16 out of 1977. It kept going. It was on the chart originally for forever, I think. 514 weeks in all. And one of the biggest selling albums of all time. One of the greatest albums of all time uh, from beginning to end, both sides. I'm surprised that number for this album is not higher because of the impact and the continual love for this album that has happened over the decades since its release. You know, at this point, people might be starting to wonder, I wonder if this album will be on or this one will be where, that kind of thing. I didn't expect this when I started looking at it and then looked down at the second 10. Drake and Take Care from 2011. 518 weeks in the 200. I might be too strong out on compliments, overdosed on confidence. Started not to give a f and stop fearing the consequence. Drinking every night because we drink to my accomplishments. Faded way too long, I'm floating in and out of consciousness. And they saying I'm back, I'd agree with that. I just take my time with all this sh I still believe in that. I had someone tell me I fell off, who I needed that. And they want to see me pick back up, well, where I leave it at? I know I exaggerated things. Now I got it like that Tuck my napkin in my shirt Cause I'm just mobbing like that You know good and well That you don't want a problem like that You gon' make someone around me Catch your body like that these newer albums that are spending a lot of time in the Billboard 200 that made this list are pretty impressive. And these are the albums that are going to challenge the top album on the list, the top three albums on the yeah. list in the yeah. next decade or so, if they continue with this momentum, because... In an age of singles and single downloads and streaming, the fact that these musicians, artists, and bands from this time period are selling in this quantity, it says a lot about those artists and those albums. Astounding when you think about it in terms of time, proportionally. A band that is eternal now, Queen, in their greatest hits package, which was released in 1981, Spent 528 weeks on the 200. So many great songs, every one of them memorable at this point. And this is 10 years before we lost Fred. She keeps them always in a pretty cabinet. Let them cake, she says, just like Marie Antoinette. A building a remedy for Chris Job and Kennedy. And that album's going to keep popping up in the Billboard Top 200. There's no doubt about it. There are these spurts that happen with all of these older albums where people are like, oh, yeah, I forgot about it. I can't find my Fleetwood Mac rumors. I can't find my Queen Greatest Hits CD or album. I'm going to buy another one. And also new interest, not just renewed interest, of bands that were around a long time ago, like Queen. 
And when parents turn their kids onto this music and grandkids onto this music, sometimes it has a big impact on those children for a while. Another one of the newer artists with Kendrick Lamar at number 13 with Good Kid Mad City. Not that familiar with him, but you know, as I found with most artists, if I listen a while, I always find the stuff that I gravitate to that works for me. Even if you don't like everything, I always find something that I like. And that's part of the exercise and the adventure on this week's Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Finding good kid Mad City and getting all the way into it. You know what I mean? Frank, Frank. Headshot. Frank, Frank. Sit down. Frank, Frank. Stand up. Frank, Frank. Pass out. Frank, Frank. Wake up. Frank, Frank. Fade it. Frank, Frank. Fade it. Now I done grew around some people living their life in bottles Granddaddy had the golden flash, backstroke every day in Chicago Some people like the way it feels, some people want to kill their sorrow Some people want to fit in with the popular, that was my problem I was in a dark room, loud tombs, looking to make a vow soon That I'ma get fucked up, filling up my cup, I see the crowd mood Changing by the minute, and the record on repeat Took a sip, then another sip, then somebody said to me Nigga, why you babysitting, only two or three shots I'm Show you how to turn it up a notch First you get a swimming pool full of liquor Then you dive in it Pool full of liquor Then you dive in it I wait I've listened to this album a few times over the years. Friends who are into it have played it. Super talented dude Kendrick Lamar is. And this album is impressive. And again, another one of those young artists who is making an impact musically and we need that at number 12 an artist that's been around for a while but when she recorded and released her album 21 no one had any idea what kind of shit storm that adele was about to set off and i'm sure there's at least one person in her life from before those songs were written that can't hear her voice without getting that low down feeling of oh man still there because she wrote songs put it all out there and i mean even as someone who's not a fan i could appreciate what she was doing and what it meant to her and why it meant so much to other people 549 weeks on the chart number 12 there's a fire starting in my heart reaching a fever pitch and it's bringing me out the dark Finally, I can see you crystal clear. Go ahead and sell me out, and I'll lay your ship back. See how I'll leave with every piece of you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There's a fire starting in my heart, reaching a fever pitch, and it's bringing me out the dark. Big fan of Adele, love her music, love her voice, so powerful. And those songs, man, they cut hard. But everybody has felt some sort of pain or hurt or some emotion that she sings that you can relate to. And you can feel those emotions in her voice. Great voice, love her music. And I think she's going to end up being one of the people who can actually challenge the top five or break into the top five as far as weeks in the top 200 for Billboard. A lot of this goes back to an era when it mattered more than other things. And the bottom line wasn't the only thing. Of course, that always has mattered in the music business. <laughs> True story. 
In the aftermath of the death of Bon Scott, we've talked about it extensively on an episode of The Imbalanced History. ACDC rises from the ashes with Back in Black in 1980, spending 553 weeks on there. And number 11 on this chart of 20 of the uh, longest-running chart albums in Billboard history. Back in Black, brother. It says everything for me is a rocker. Absolutely. And one of the most important albums in rock and roll history, no doubt about it. The fact that ACDC came back even stronger with what they did. Back in Black is one of those tunes that everybody knows. I have friends who love country music, but boy, when they're running or working out, Back in Black is one of their workout songs. Almost every one of them. And it's... One of those songs that I think crosses over to everybody. You talk about stadium rock songs, and there's so many that are popular. But when the opening toll of Hell's Bells goes out in the speakers in the stadium, all bedlam breaks loose. Cuckoo bananas. (laughs) Yes, cuckoo bananas, man. (laughs) We're getting a little cuckoo bananas here on the Imbalance History this week. Actually, uh, we're getting into the uh, juicy stuff. And this is where all the real controversy will arise, even in my head already, as we are just talking about this. Number 10, Michael Jackson. Number 10, only number 10, Thriller from 1982. Everybody knows the album. If you were around back then, it dominated everything in life. Culture, life, music, radio, you name it, MTV. And it went gold in Philadelphia alone. I remember the day Biff Kennedy told me, we just cleared 500000 in Philly on Thriller. Number 10. It's close to me. wild we had a copy of thriller as soon as it came out literally and i remember watching the videos i remember listening to the album over and over my brother listened to it my sister six years younger listened to it you guys were at the perfect age for that album and mtv everything was all like synced up in uh, synchronicity even you know Yep, and I think a couple years later my brother got to see him live and said it was incredible wow Never did. Never did. 
The next one on this list is a younger guy that I have all kinds of admiration for. Love his music, love what he does, the energy he pervades wherever he goes. Talking about Bruno Mars and his album Doo-Wops and Hooligans from 2010. It's number nine on this list. Pretty good run for a young buck, right? Absolutely, and one that's going to move up the list a little further because Bruno Mars is a great dude. I'm a big fan of his music as well. He has such a nice mix of so many different genres in the rock and roll family tree, and he's got a great voice, and he's fun, and he makes you feel good, and kids really like his music, and I'm impressed with some of these younger generation musicians, not only in the rock and roll spectrum, but in the pop and the... uh, rap section of the music world because i think there's some really great talented good people and bruno mars is one of them kudos to bruno guns and roses greatest hits 2004 release at number eight so many great songs and then nothing for a long time really i I know they're trying i know stuff has been done and overdone and done and done but Uh, The Greatest Hits Package from 2004, one of the most enduring sales monsters out there. And of course, Appetite for Destruction's on the long list of originals because of how many it's sold historically. I'm actually surprised that Greatest Hits has been on the charts longer than Appetite for Destruction because of the impact that Appetite had when it hit the world like a thunderous Thor's hammer. Holy shit, did that album smash us all, and in a good way. But I'm not surprised Guns N' Roses has an album that's in the top ten. The next album on their list is an original album, one of the biggest selling albums of the era, one that I couldn't believe that I was so right when I called it it would be a big seller for DGC, the new imprint out of David Geffen's companies. Talking about Nevermind from Nirvana, in 30 plus years down the line, it still feels fresh when I listen to some of those songs. So I haven't listened to the whole album in a while and I pop it on, it just jumps out of the speakers at you. Still does, in a big way.
And the teenage children of the generation that grew up with that can still relate to a lot of those songs. It's really cool that the younger generation is getting into this album, this band, and the music as well, because a lot of good music from the 90s, and this album really, really smashes it. It's become your classic rock. It really has. 25 years, 25 years, and it's classic rock. If you've heard it a million times, it's classic rock to you. (laughs) Not classic rock, but definitely classic. In number six on Louder Sounds list, Eminem, Curtain Call, The Hits, and, you know, a situation where an artist who is a major impact player in his era puts it all together on one release and just blows it up because it's all there. I got to see Eminem live, and, and it was one of the most fun shows I have ever been to. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg were on that tour. It Holy shit. Wait a minute. Crazy. Where was this? Where was this? It was at Fiddler's Green in Colorado. I can't remember. It was 99, 2098, 2001. I can't remember the exact year, but it was great. Eminem can throw down and live. He was just smashing it. They all were. It was a fun show and Eminem controversial. Yeah. Eminem piss people off. Yeah. Art always has a political aspect to it. There's always going to be an aspect of art that makes you feel uncomfortable and hopefully you can grow from it. Well, nothing made me feel uncomfortable about anything on CCR's Chronicle album released in 76. Uh, it was like a greatest hits package and they'd have a second one too. After the band had broken up, I got to tell you, man, Everything on that record. I got the original version where it's not just the uh, silhouettes of them. It's cut. The cardboard is cut in my version of CCR Chronicle. And it's just a cool damn record to put on if you just want to listen to Creedence. Before I got into albums, and one of the reasons I got Chronicle originally was because I didn't want to put on the stack and flip them. So I just put on a side and flipped it. I know if I go and look at it now in the basement, the grooves are worn down on Chronicle from CCR, our number five on this list. My dad was a big fan of CCR, and we got it both on vinyl and on cassette when it came out because my dad wanted it for the cassette in the car, and then he wanted it at home. And so I listened to this album a ton. Something tells me that your dad and I would be pretty good buds, too, if he was still with us, man. Definitely. We've got a few more on the louder sound list, and then I'm going to kind of switch it up and take a break and talk about these other lists that we found. But we're in the home stretch, man. And you know who punches through 
as much as we wish it was Motorhead and Lemmy, Metallica, the Black Album, in 1991, pushes through and has been around for forever on the chart, right? Yeah, 700 weeks in the Billboard 200, and no other metal band has come within anywhere near of that. And for as much as we see online all of the haters of Metallica and Metallica and the Black Album, this album made a big difference to a lot of people. I love this album. It's not anything like their earlier albums, but that doesn't mean I don't feel it. their music for a lot of people who were a little more mainstream and brought them back across the bridge so that they could rediscover some of the earlier stuff that was crunchier and then they all we all move forward and that is a turning point for anyone who likes loud music because it made it okay for the people who always thought we were fucking freaks well they weren't wrong marcus but it did get them on the bus to take the ride with us and a lot of fun one of these days, I'm going to tell that story about the night in Pittsburgh in the pit. Can't wait for you to share that. <laughs> Might have to get me that drunk to get me to tell it. Mm. At number three, it's Journey's Greatest Hits, released in 1988. And it's uh, brought in a lot of income for the Journey Corporation, for the whole gang, because of the impact of all those songs together selling so well. Just a small town girl living in Took the midnight train going anywhere. Just a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. He took the midnight train going anywhere. Hey, from the late 70s into the mid 80s, they were a hardcore staple on both rock radio and pop radio, top 40 radio, and their music related to a lot of people. You go to bars with jukeboxes, you're going to hear their tunes on the jukeboxes. It gets a little bit later. It's almost guaranteed to happen. There's two songs that always get sung that way in bars. Late at night, of course, Don't Stop Believing, and the one and only Neil Diamond. <laughs> warm, touching warm, reaching out, touching me, touching me.
You know, man, when I want to sing along, Bob Marley's legend goes right in the CD player in the car and we roll because, you know, man, you know every song by heart. Yeah, this is a beautiful collection of Bob Marley's music. And it's an album that I've had since 84 in my collection when it was new. It's an album that I still play. The songs I still play, the live version of No Woman, No Cry, still one of my all-time favorite versions of that song. So you are part of the generation one of the people who bought this album when it was new that started the run that makes it number two on this list of long running billboard chart albums. Wow. You were part of it, bro. Absolutely. I was a teenage part of it and I'm glad that I listened to it. Bob Marley is one of the artists that our son loved listening to as a baby and as a toddler because it makes you feel good and it makes you move naturally. And so he would just kind of move to the music and... I'm a big fan of Bob Marley. Redemption song, I think, is one of the most beautiful songs ever written. And there's some great covers out there by people like Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros and so many other great artists. It is a timeless classic, as all of that music is from that album. And not surprising, at number one, we go to the dark side of the moon. It's been around over 50 years. And most of that time, it was on the Billboard chart. It's the number one longest charting album on this list. 1973, and I'm thinking, huh. I know it fell off the chart at one point, and I was right when I looked it up. It was only number one for a single week. Can you believe that? But 736 non-consecutive weeks from March 17th to 73 until July 1988 when it finally fell off the chart. So I guess that accounts for any anomalies that happened in there. But it was on the chart all that time until 1988. And then it came back on the chart. That's when it started adding to the number, right?
Yeah, it fell off and then it came back. The number I actually found was 741 weeks consecutively. Because I looked that up as well, and I was like, huh, I wonder how many it is consecutively. Because I remember everybody in the music world, MTV, made a huge deal about the fact that Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, fell off the charts. All of the music magazines did. It was a big deal. So we're going to need the research department on this one, aren't we, Ray? I think we are. As we go to the break, that gives them a chance to go to Google and start looking things up while we go to the Growler for a couple pints from our sponsor, Crooked Eye. We'll be back with the answer to these and other mysteries on the imbalance history of rock and roll. It's finally here, Marcus. It's the 10th anniversary of Crooked Eye Brewery happening February 10th at the Crooked Eye Brewery location uh, right there at York and Montgomery and Hapro. The Crooked Eye Band's going to be on stage. All the people that have been part of Crooked Eye's first 10 years making a plan to be there for the party, and that includes us. It's going to be a fun night of rock and roll. There are going to be some tasty beers. There's going to be food there. Lots of toasts like raised the whole thing. Oh, sure. yeah. It'll oh, be a fun yeah. night of rock and roll. And come and be part of the party and part of the podcast episode. We'll be recording that night. If you find us, tap us on the shoulder and tell us what you like about the imbalanced history of rock and roll. So we hope to see you there at the big party to celebrate five and ten. Five for us and ten for Crooked Eye Brewery. Thanks to Paul and Paul and Jeff and everyone there that makes it such a fun place. Thank you, everybody. We love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's a celebration of ten years of Crooked Eye in the heart of Hapro since 2014. Pouring the cure for what ails you and sponsoring us here on The Imbalance History. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. After a pint of beer and a quick refresher on statistics, we are back. <laughs> it is the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Ray Coob and Marcus with you. And we are talking about the Billboard Top 200 albums and the top 20 albums that have charted for the longest amount of Yeah, the most weeks. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty fascinating. And I'm glad for this, but it's all over the place going back as far as the 50s and being as current as like 2011, 2012. So you have a wide range of music. Right. 
really had an impact over the decades and all of it showing, you know, the power of those albums. And when we're talking about the Billboard chart and you try to, in your mind, compare it to the best-selling albums and the conversations we've had or you've had with friends over the years about that, you're thinking a lot of things are missing or, or don't add up. And you're not wrong, okay? Now, this one's from a few years ago from the digitalmusicnews.com website. Actually, from 2020, so it is a while ago. It is like somewhat dated in the figures, but you get the idea of how things may not mesh with the Billboard chart performance based on sales. The two do not always mean the same thing. So let's start with the top 20 best-selling albums of all time and how many they sold, according to Digital Music News. Number 20, Saturday Night Fever, 16 million. And also at 16 million, Jagged Little Pill from Alanis Morissette. Do you think of those two as culturally equivalent, impactfully, when you look at them on the surface? actually say that Alanis Morissette has a little more impact than Saturday Night Fever soundtrack and the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack is a great soundtrack I remember getting it as a kid I remember my parents and their friends going to see the movie when it was new in the theater and being excited about going to see it new and I remember playing the album a ton in our house we always had music on and that was definitely an album when it was new that got played a lot and I can tell that when it was released has an impact on how you feel about Alanis versus the Bee Gees there. I had no choice but to hear you. You stated your case diamond again. I thought about it. You treat me like I'm a princess. Like that, you ask how my day was. You've already won me over, in spite of me. And don't be alarmed if I fall head over feet. And don't be surprised if I love you for all that you I love the Alanis Morissette album. It's a fantastic album, and she wrote some great songs, and she really sang with a lot of emotion and power, and a lot of people in the 90s related to her, and today they still relate to her. She's back on tour and doing yeah. her again. There's a show, and a, like a stage show about Jagged Little Pill. Yes, and so hats off to Alanis. Great career. Three albums are in the 17 million range. That's the Beatles' 67 to 70 collection. That's the blue one. Elton John's greatest hits, which is chock full of them. And the debut album from Boston. Now, 
albums again that people still listen to. A lot of those albums, especially the older ones, are timeless. Boston, what they did was incredible. I still love listening to that album today. Now, you notice that none of these things that we've mentioned so far in the top 20 showed up anywhere on the chart run list that we were talking about earlier. And that run continues at number 15, the Bodyguard soundtrack. Whitney Houston with 18 million sold. Guns N' Roses, there it is. Appetite for Destruction, around 18 million sold. And Garth Brooks, oh, one of the biggest selling artists of all time. No Fences, 18 million for those three albums. But that's how they rank in the uh, bottom half of the top 20. It's cool that it's music from all over the place. The movie, The Bodyguard, meh. Anything that Whitney Houston sings, absolutely, definitely. She had an incredible voice. Incredible gift. She really did. Oh, such a gift. And still love listening to her songs. If they come on, I'm not changing the channel or I'm not fast forwarding. Her songs will always be played in my house because she just was great. Garth Brooks, dude's great. Entertainer, makes a lot of people happy. You feel good listening to his music and feel good country like his is nice. So not surprised and kudos to Garth as well. He's rad. Shania Twain teamed up with old Mutt Lang to produce, I think a couple kids too, but the Come On Over album, 20 million sold and counting. And uh, right there as we head towards the top 10 with Shania Good for Shania. She's super talented and great voice. And enjoying a minor comeback in this last year or so. We talked about it earlier, man. At number 11, just outside the top 10, Rumors at 20 million sold. This album still and for all time will be one of my favorites to listen to at any time. You can pop it on like uh, a favorite movie where you can watch any part of it. You can listen to any part of it and it's fun. Oh, absolutely. Not a bad song on the record. Not a bad note on the record for that matter. And it's just as close to perfect as perfect gets. It's perfect imperfection, I guess, would be the way to describe it. But it's a brilliant album all the way through and never tire of it or any of the songs. Another one that didn't get any mention earlier in this episode, Hootie and the Blowfish, Cracked Rear View, 21 million sold. And then here comes Mr. Brooks once again, Garth Brooks Double Live. Also, 21 million sold. Woof! Tells you how great Garth Brooks live shows are. And an album live like that that can sell at those numbers. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about Pink Floyd. Number eight on this list, 23 million albums sold. The Wall. Boy, did that album come out at a time for me, 1980, 14 years old, learning to question everything, starting to push back against the strictness of your parents, your 
compelling. And then this album comes out and parents are like, what the fuck? Well, for me, it was a whole different slice of life. I was lucky enough to get a seat on a bus to go up to Long Island to see the show on the second night, I think, of the wall performance. And for a long time, nothing came close to it as far as the greatest concert I'd ever witnessed. And uh, later, Roger's solo at the ballpark in Philly kind of blew it away with all the modern technology. Pretty cool. But the wall, number eight, 23 million. Now, Zeppelin four. And Billy Joel's Greatest Hits, Volume 1 and 2. Is that a cheat? Is that one of our uh, five favorite type cheats? It's Volumes 1 and 2, a double. Do the doubles count for two? That's what I want to know because that I think it counts for me. one because yeah. I think it was released as a double album, one and two together. Uh-huh. And so I think it just counts as one double album. And they just made parts one and two together. Zeppelin 4 is there at 7 in between them, and they all have 23 million as the number. And this is a while back, so it's updated from there. So don't take us at, you know, absolutes on this. We're talking about a list from Digital Music News from a few years ago. Now, when the twos are together as far as the double albums, it's like the Beatles' White Album, which is number 5. Number 5. 24 million sold, dude. That's crazy. All the great music. The things it meant to... Those of us who were absorbing everything the Beatles did at the time, and for people who would discover them after they broke up, like a young Marcus Goldman perhaps, I gotta tell you, there was so much discovery in the White Album that you couldn't get anywhere else, even in the Beatles catalog. Our little guy is starting to ask about the Beatles as well. So we're starting to spike the tunes in with his music and he's starting to be like, listen to what they're saying. So they are universally relatable, you know. Yep. All right. We're in the final home stretch on this little patch of the highway this week. Number four is back in black ACDC rising from the ashes with Brian Johnson, former member of Jordy, coming over and fitting in right away. And then, of course, contributing a lot right away as they tried to recover from the death of Bon Scott and did amazingly in 1980. Not surprised. That album has to be in the top five. It is so monumentally loved and so worldwide loved. There's no way it's not going to be in the top five. We haven't mentioned the Eagles yet, and I don't know how that's possible, but it's true. Hotel California, having sold 26 million, is ranked at number three on this list. One of the great standalone albums. Without a doubt, and I'm not personally a fan of the Eagles, but this album's fantastic. I still have my Eagles Greatest Hits record on vinyl, and there's some great songs on there. Those guys did what they did. They did it well. And Hotel California is, again, one of those game-changing albums that really is a great listen all the way through.
you see me smiling? Yep. <laughs> okay. You're probably not surprised to find out that Michael Jackson's thriller, having sold 33 million, is number two on this list of the best selling albums of all time. And they waited to be on the list at all and in this discussion at all. But the Eagles, again, at number one with that dusty old copy of their greatest hits that has sold over 38 million copies. 38 million copies. And if you go back and listen to our discussion with Mick Walls about the Eagles and that era, you realize that, that translated into a lot of Maseratis. Without a doubt. And that book that Mick Wall wrote about the Eagles and their story is fantastic. It is a straight-up, well-researched, well-written story about what happened. This just in from the research department, Ray. Yes? Dark Side of the Moon was on the Billboard 200 charts for 741 consecutive weeks. So the thousand weeks number that I keep seeing around the internet is for the cumulative effect. That's still amazing. It's amazing, right? Absolutely. But the fact that they did it 741 weeks consecutively is still more than anybody outside of them and Bob Marley in the top 20. Now, I'm looking at Wikipedia, which we use as a reference tool, like a lot of people do. And I'm looking at the category of how many million sellers there are. And I'm looking at these albums. And everything that we've talked about so far is in the top tier. But in the next tier, like between 30 and 39 million copies sold, Dirty Dancing is in there. Wow. And Michael Jackson's bad, too. And not one, but two albums from Celine Dion. Falling Into You, and Let's Talk About Love from 1996 and 1990. So that's a lot of you gentlemen. Mm. So no mention of her otherwise. And Brothers in Arms, Dire Straits from Ermad Saratman. I'm just looking for things that didn't show up on our radar otherwise that are big sellers like this. Like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Hello. How many did that sell? Approximately 18.3 million. Santana, the amazing album Supernatural, over 20, bro. And we're just talking about albums that have sold so well. There's a lot of things in the next level that are nowhere near this discussion because we're talking about the very top level, uh, the top 10 or 20. You could say the same thing about the number one album on this chart. You've already had the research team double check 741 weeks, right? Over 1,000 all in counting the different times when it's popped back onto the chart. It's a masterpiece. And having listened to some of the early mixes that Parsons worked on before they got down to the nitty-gritty, some of the early mixes for the guys to listen to, when you hear it, it really is a masterpiece. In the same way that Bach or Beethoven's music were masterpieces. And the fact that it's been on the chart so long, it sold over 45 million just here in the U.S., I think. It's the biggest selling album of all time by a British band. And I didn't realize that. I'm always thinking Beatles. You know me. Look what the Beatles did to the whole world. They changed the world by themselves. And if you need evidence of that, I made the case for the Beatles in our first real episode at the beginning of this podcast, which, by the way, pal, is coming up on five years ago. 
that's hard for me to believe, man. It's been five years that we just keep having this great conversation. And occasionally, you guys get involved either through email at uh, imbalancehistory at gmail.com or on our social media accounts. We, we see your comments all the time. Feel free and give us feedback there, too. It's good to have the conversation out there. Don't forget to hit us up on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Threads. No, we're not on Twitter. It's X now. As Sorry, in I don't care X, and I don't give Twitter. a shit. That's... Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> I'm calling it Twitter, and if it makes people mad, too bad. Everybody knows what Twitter You're is. You're so confused. <laughs> Uncle Marcus keeps calling it Twitter. I'm not calling it anything else, just Twitter. I don't feel like that. <laughs> the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll is where you can find us on social media. There. Yes, any Google nut will find us by just yeah. in typing in Imbalanced History. How about that? Perfect. All right, then. Well, let's get on out of here. Thanks for tuning in for this episode. And I hope you get our whole point about chart runs and biggest sales aren't always the same thing. And we found that out a little bit this week on the podcast, too. Right? Totally. Thanks to Crooked Eye Brewing and the Heart of Hapro celebrating their 10th anniversary. Thanks, guys. Love you so much. And until the next time that we crack the mics here in Dark Doc Media Studios, I'm Ray Koob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this is the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom is dead. My mom is right there. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.